morning, everybody. Hey, uh, again, welcome to uh, Faith. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Mike. I am on staff here with James and some others. And uh, it's great to have you here with us as we are in the final week of our series, Big Ten. All right. Um, and more on what this is all about in just a little bit. But, I mean, if you... If you if you're online, you're watching us with the live stream feed, you can get on the chat right now and you can put down, finally. If you're in the room, you can look at a person next to you and be like, finished, right? It's the last week of the series. Now, James mentioned next week we're going to be starting a new series. It's called Say What? All right. I'm not kidding here. And All right. So this is going to be a, a three-week mini-series, especially when you have a ten-week series. Three weeks feels like a mini-series. And if you're like, well, didn't we do this last summer? And yes, we did. Here's the deal. In this series, what we do is we take a Bible passage. One of those passages that when you read it, you're like, what in the world just happened there? Like, what does this mean? This is crazy. This is weird. What do I do with this? We have some fun with it. We unpack it. We make sense of it. And we apply it to our lives. And I don't know about you, but last summer we did three weeks of that. I've found more than just three passages in the Bible that make me say, say what? So we're going to do three more. We're going to start next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. But this week we are wrapping up Big Ten. And uh, Big Ten, it, we're referring to God's Big Ten, specifically the Ten Commandments. And what we've done in this series is each week we've just taken one of the Ten Commandments, unpacked it, and just tried to see how in the Ten Commandments what we really have are foundational principles for God's people. Principles that are meant to set us free to live our best lives. Principles that are meant to protect us from things that would destroy us. And each week we're going, hey, this is more than a bunch of rules. This is, these, these are life-giving, protective principles from God. So this week we're going to look at the last one of those and see how that works. But before we do, let's take a minute and pray. Father, just... Um, just thank you for your goodness, for your life. Uh, God, thanks just for new members um, after the last year and all the craziness that that has been to be able to get together in a couple weeks and officially uh, vote in a congregational meeting and then in weeks to come have those folks up front and just celebrate them. Uh, Father, we want to pray just for people in Haiti right now in the midst of the earthquake and the aftermath. Uh, Father, just thank you uh, for the Hernandez family. They're, they're on the other side of the island in the DR. And just to hear back from them that they are fine. But uh, there are so many people who aren't. And we pray for help and provision and uh, just for restoration there. Father, we just want to pray for the Bowers for... Uh, Sherry especially as she is in um, just in a skilled nursing facility receiving rehab and there's just a host of different things that she is wrestling with uh, with regards to health and care and other pieces that you would please help her and um, I just pray she'd be able to get back home and get back to life as normal. And just so we look at this last commandment, help us to see truth from you, open our hearts and minds to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so last commandment today, which is number what? Yeah, not a trick question. All right. <laughs> Tenth commandment, who can tell me what it is? Thou shalt not covet. Good. All right. Thou shalt not covet. It go, goes like this, all right? Uh, you shall not covet 
your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or his donkey. Some of you are like, oh, right? Um, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So really with this last one, I mean, you know, Moses is going out of his way. He's like, listen, if it's your neighbor's, you know, if it, if it belongs to your neighbor, don't covet it. Now, covet's not a word that we use a lot in our culture today. And so as you think about this commandment, you're going, okay, I'm, I'm going to get this one down. A good question to be asking ourselves is, what does it mean to covet? Like, if I'm not going to do it, what exactly is it? Well, at its root, the word that we have translated as covet means to desire. That's right. means to desire. Which then begs the question, is the Bible saying, well, that, like you shouldn't desire anything? And it doesn't. That's actually a Buddhist concept, not a biblical concept. In fact, you can, you can, you can find times in the Bible where desire is described as healthy, is something we should have. So, so really the question then becomes, okay, where's the line then? Where, where, where does desire somehow cross a line and go from being a good and healthy thing to something that is thou shalt not? Something that becomes destructive, something that's going to enslave me and take away my freedom. Now, th there are a number of ways that we can spot coveting, all right? For example, we, we, can, we can spot coveting in the dynamics that exist between me and you and stuff, and I know stuff's an intimidating theological technical term, right? I have confidence you're going to be able to keep up with me here, right? So let, let me try and illustrate. For example, uh, when we talk about coveting, coveting happens when I see stuff that you have and it causes me to become unsatisfied with perfectly good stuff that I have. All right, so say, say and, and I don't because iPhones are from the devil, but let's say I had an iPhone 11, all right? All right. You know where I stand on that, all right? But say I got an iPhone 11, all right? And outside of it, you know, the fact that it's Satan's personal, you know, communication device makes calls just fine. It texts just fine. I can, I can, you know, scroll through my, you know, whatever my social feed is just fine. It's a wonderful phone. Until I see your iPhone 12. And then all of a sudden, my iPhone 11 is no good anymore. Or, or you, you, can, you can spot coveting here, right? I see stuff that you have that I don't have, and I have a negative emotional and cognitive response to it. So, so I've got an 11, but then I see your 12. And when I see you've got what I don't have, like it, it creates flux between me and you. Or, or rather than be happy, for you, and the, 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 the benefit, the blessing you have, I'm despondent that I don't have it. Or I obsess over how I'm going to get for me what you have that I don't have but I want. See, we, we can spot coveting in the dynamic that exists between me and you and stuff. Not only so, but we can spot coveting in the dynamic that exists between me and God and stuff. See, anytime I look to stuff to do for me what it is that only God can do for me, I'm coveting. 
Anytime I look for stuff to do for me, what it is that only God can do for me, I'm coveting. Now, if you've been riding along with us for this whole series and you're a, a, an astute and you, you pay attention, you, some of you are thinking, wait a minute. I thought way back when we did the first two commandments, you said that when we look to people or things to do for us, what only God can do for us, that's idolatry. And if you're thinking that, you're absolutely correct. Because that's absolutely what we said right at the beginning of this series. But part of what we need to understand today is that, that coveting and idolatry, they're incredibly closely related. It's, it's what motivated the Apostle Paul to write this. He said, he's speaking to Christians about how their lives should be different now that they're following Jesus. And he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Some translations will, will put that, you know, put to death your flesh or put to death your earthly nature. He's like, listen, that, that broken thing inside of you that used to control your life, now that you're following Jesus, you should put that thing to death. And then he describes some, some things that characterize our flesh, our earthly nature. He, he says, put to death, whoa, come on back. Put to death sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is is idolatry. See, Paul's like, these two things go hand in hand. So, so yeah, wh whenever I look for stuff to do for me, what only God can do for me, sure, that's idolatry. But whenever I look for stuff to do for me, what only God can do for me, that's coveting. You can spot coveting in the dynamic that exists between me and God and stuff. Now, that's probably why the Ten Commandments are bookended the way they are. Right at the beginning, no other gods before me. Right at the end, don't covet. So, when, when I go, hey, when I finally have this, man, then I'm going to be happy. When, when I think to myself, when I finally you know, have this, then I'll be satisfied. When, when I'm thinking, when I finally achieve this, then I'll be complete. That's idolatry, because I'm looking for stuff to do for me what only God can, but it's coveting as well. So what I want to do today is look at a narrative from the Old Testament book of Genesis. Go way back to Genesis 27 and see how coveting can, can be a destructive force that God is trying to set us free from, trying to protect us from. Way back in Genesis 27, we have one of the patriarchs, Isaac. All right? You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Isaac dropping kind of a bombshell on his oldest son, his favorite son, Esau. Here's, here's what Isaac says to his son as he opens a conversation up. He says, um, I am now an old man. And I don't know the day of my death. And then he's like, so what I want you to do, boys, I want you to go out, go hunting, kill some game, make it, you know, food just like I like it. Bring it back here, feed it to me, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, here's basically, Isaac's going, listen, I'm, I'm going to die any day now. I can feel it coming. Before it happens, I want to make sure you... Esau, my favorite son, get the family blessing. So we're going to have kind of this reception beforehand. You're going to get the blessing. I'm going to get this buttoned up before I go. In ancient Semitic culture, 
every family had two very important things to pass down from one generation to the next. One was the birthright, one was the blessing. The birthright represented the family's material, their monetary advantages. The blessing represented that family's spiritual advantages. It was the the promises, the advantages, the something special that God himself was going to do in that family. You got to pass it down from one generation to the next. And, And this family, they've got a huge family blessing. Like they've been told, hey, you're going to be made into a great nation. You're going to inherit the land of Canaan. The, the redemption of all humanity is going to work itself out through your family. In a culture where family legacy is so important, there's amazing stuff that goes with this blessing. So Isaac's explaining this to Esau, but we read Esau isn't the only one who hears this. We're told next that Rebecca, right, Isaac's wife, that she was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau, right? Now, so I don't know if you know this or not. In Hebrew, Rebecca can also be translated as eavesdropper, all right? It's true, it's true. It's not, it's not true. It's just fun for my friend's name, Rebecca, but she, she's listening into this whole thing, right? And so when she sees that Esau leaves for the open country, you know, to go and hunt game to bring it back, what she does is she runs to her favorite son. Because Rebecca and Isaac, they've got two boys, Esau and Jacob. And she says to Jacob, listen, I just heard your dad talking to your brother. He's, he, he's, your, your brother's out hunting. He's going to come back. He's going to make this meal for dad. And dad's going to give him the blessing. We can't have this. This isn't going to work. You need to get this blessing. I want you to have this thing. So what we're going to do, I'm going to make dinner. I'm going to make dinner the way your daddy likes it. You're going to dress up. You're going to pretend to be your brother. You're going to take the food in to your father so that he can eat it, so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. We're going to lie, deceive, manipulate your father out of the blessing that should be going to your brother. Let's just stop right here, all right? Already, we're we're beginning to see, and we're just beginning, we're going to see more of this as the narrative unfolds. We're already beginning to see some of the destructive nature of coveting. Because coveting's happening here. If, If coveting is want, if it is desire gone awry, Rebecca and Jacob, they both want the blessing. And they want it bad. And, and for them, destructing, coveting right out of the gate, it becomes destructive to them personally. We're going to see this more as the narrative unfolds, but right away you begin to see this. Things that they already have, they're unable to appreciate. Time that they should be spending, they're not investing it in the right places. Like, take Jacob, for instance. Jacob already has the birthright. Like when daddy dies, Jacob's going to get the overwhelming majority of the family's financial benefits. They're coming to him. The minute Jacob hears Esau's getting the blessing, all of a sudden, it's like the iPhone thing. He's not satisfied with the good thing he already has. He starts to obsess over the thing that he doesn't have. Rebecca has just heard, my husband thinks he's on death's doorstep. 
My spouse is going to die any day now. Rather than try and figure out, how do I make the most of the time that I have left with my spouse? Rebecca's trying to figure out, how do I steal my son's blessing so that the son I want to have it can get it? This is not good for them personally. Not, not only so, but they both get delusional. Like, Rebecca's like, listen, you, uh, your dad's going to give the blessing to your brother. You're going to dress up like your brother. We're going to make this meal just like daddy likes it. We're going to go in here, fool your dad into thinking you're your brother, so he'll give you the blessing. Jacob, he realizes there's a little bit of a snag in this plan, right? So he, sa- he says to his mom, he says, he says, but my brother Esau is a hairy man. Anybody got a hairy man in their life? All right. More on that later, right? My, my brother's a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? And I love this next line. I would appear to be tricking him. There's no appear to be going on here. You're going to flat out lie, deceive, manipulate, and steal. But he's like, I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Right? To, which, to which Rebecca then says, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say and get them for me. Like she has any control, right? Like Jacob goes in there to lie and deceive us to his dad. His dad figures it out, and instead of spewing blessings, he starts spewing curses. Like Rebecca has any kind of control where the curses go. I mean, this, this is crazy talk on the part of both of them. This is just silliness on Jacob's part and on Rebecca's part. But this is where they're at. And they believe it. And they believe it because in part, they've got to believe the delusion in order to justify what they're about to do next. Like, have you ever, ever seen somebody who wants something and, ooh, they want it bad? And you listen to that person talk about how bad they want that thing and what that thing's going to do for them once they get it and what they're willing to pay in order to get that thing. And as they're talking, you're just like, are you listening to yourself? Because this is crazy talk here. And then you try and explain it to that person and, and they either won't hear a word you're saying or they even get mad at you because you're trying to talk good sense in the midst of their delusion. See, they need to believe that thing in order to justify what they're going to do next. This is is where Jacob and Rebecca are at. They they, they can't appreciate what they have. They're not going to invest what time they have left well. They're delusional. Their coveting is destructive for them personally. Well, the narrative continues, right? Again. Jacob gets all dressed up in his brother's clothes. His mom puts goat hair on his hands. You know, gets the skin of a goat, puts on his hands, on the back of his neck. You know, makes dinner up just the way that daddy likes it, right? And then she sends him in. She sends him in, and, and Jacob's all like, okay, dad, I'm here. Let's do this thing. Now, Isaac's blind. Cannot see well. He can still hear. And, and 
he hears Jacob and he's thinking, I'm expecting Esau, but it sounds like Jacob. And so, you know, so he, he asks, he's like, which, which of my boys do I have here? He's confused. To which Jacob says, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up, eat some of my game, so that, I may, so that you may give me your blessing. Comes in there just lying through his teeth to his dad about who he is. Now, Isaac's still suspicious. So he asks his son, he says, hey, how'd you manage to get out there, catch this thing, cook this thing, and do it all in record time? To which Jacob says, the Lord your God gave me success. Now, you want to talk about delusional? You want to talk about messed up? In addition to everything that Jacob is doing right now, he's now trying to drag God into this thing. He's trying to put God's rubber stamp of approval on his coveting. This is just no good. But this is what he does. So, so <laughs> Isaac's still suspicious. So, so Isaac says, you know, says to him next, he says, come here. Come here so I can touch you, my son, and know whether you are really my son Esau or not. And Jacob gets close, and Isaac rubs his hands, and he rubs the back of his neck, and he feels that goat skin there, and he thinks, okay, feels like my son Esau. Which always has made me wonder, like, how hairy was this man anyway, all right? Like, if he is indistinguishable from a goat to the, I mean, like, this is one of the people, like, you're at the beach and they take off their shirt and you're like, woo, you didn't finish evolving yet, did you, right? I mean, just like, this is a hairy, hairy man, right? Touches him, feels like Esau, smells his clothes, right? Smells like Esau, even asks him one more time, point blank, are you really my son Esau? I am, he replied. So Isaac, unwittingly, I mean, he figures, okay, I'm sick, I'm dying, I must be confused, it must be my boy, unwittingly gives the blessing to his son Jacob that he meant for his son Esau. And as soon as he's got the blessing, Jacob slinks away. And shortly after, Esau shows up. And Esau's like, Dad, I'm here, let's do this thing, right? And Jacob's confused. Isaac's confused. Excuse me. He's confused. And, he, and so he says, who are you? You don't even know who he's dealing with now. I am your son, your firstborn Esau. You ever have somebody do something to you so wrong that, like, physically, you cannot control your own body when you realize what's been done to you? Like th this, this is where he's at. He, Isaac trembled violently. And he says, okay, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I, I, I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. Isaac and 
And, and Esau, they start connecting the dots and they figure out this, this was Jacob who did this to us. And Esau, when he realizes what we're told, he held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother. In other words, I'm, I'm going to let daddy go to his grave with two sons. But the dirt isn't going to be done settling on daddy's grave before I'm going to bury my brother six feet under. And when Rebecca hears this, she grabs Jacob and she says, listen, your, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do, as I say, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban and Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. Like as his narrative has continued to spin, it's like so easy to see the destructive force that coveting is bringing to bear. Like, sure, it's destructive to us personally, but for goodness sake, it's destructive relationally. Like, Rebecca, she, she eavesdrops on, you know, what's going on, tells Jacob, you know, hey, we're going we're gonna to make up this meal. We're going to dress you up. I'm going to coach you on what to tell your father. He goes in there, lies seven ways from Sunday to his dad, and steals his brother's blessing. Now, when Isaac figures out Jacob did this to me. What's that going to do for their relationship? We've seen what it does for Jacob and Esau's relationship. Listen, when your sibling is intent on homicide, all right, that you're not doing well. When Isaac figures out my wife helped my son deceive me, what's that going to do for their marriage? When Esau figures out my mother helped my brother steal my blessing. What's that going to do for their relationship? See, coveting, it's destructive to us relationally because when I covet, it doesn't just impact me. Now, when the coveting bomb detonates inside of me, it sends shrapnel out. And it, 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 that digs into everybody around me. When, when, when I do coveting right... I'm worried about me, how I'm going to get what I want, how I'm going to get my stuff. And if that comes at your expense, so be it. See, when I'm coveting, I can't love you. I can't love you well. I can't love you like I love myself. It's an interesting thing. Much later on in the, in the scriptures, Jesus is asked by, by an expert in the Mosaic Law that begins with the Ten Commandments. He's asked, hey, what is the most important commandment out of all of them? Moses started with the Ten Commandments, wrote a bunch more after that. What's the most important one, Jesus? Jesus will say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When I'm coveting, I can't love my neighbor as myself. In fact, you look at the Ten Commandments, some of them are about how I interact and relate to God. And then others are about how I interact and relate to you. Almost every time I break one of the covenants that relates to how I interact with you, coveting is part of that. Every time I break a commandment that, that you know, it's about, hey, this is how I interact with people, coveting is almost always a factor. 
like, like Cain. He wants, desires the approval that Abel has, so he murders his brother. David wants Uriah's wife, so he has an adulterous affair with her. Judas desires, he wants more money than he has, so he steals it out of Jesus' ministry budget. Last week, we saw Ahab wanted, desired, names vineyard, so he had people lie about him. Almost every time we do things to one another where they're wrong, where we cross the line, where it's hurtful, where it's relationally destructive, so often it starts with a want, a desire, or coveting. Because coveting destroys us relationally. All right, one last way that coveting is destructive, and it's this. Coveting is destructive spiritually. It's destructive spiritually. Now, it is so in a host of different ways, all right? We're going to focus in on just one of them, all right? And um, to, to do so, I need a couple people willing to come up on stage. I get two volunteers. Look at you cowards. All right. I'm going to give away free Apple products today. <laughs> Maker of the iPhone, AirPods. I need two people. Who, who's up for some free Apple products in the room today? Aha, uh -huh, look at that. All right, come on up here. Yep, yep, yep. Grant, come on up here. All right. Will, can you turn this mic on for me, please? Uh-huh. All right, Grant, I need you right here. Julia, I need you right here. For the people who were not listening to me, introduce yourself. Grant. Grant. Gregory. And, and if you got free Apple products, what would you do with them, Grant? Give them to somebody who needs them. All right. And introduce yourself. Uh-huh, and if you got free Apple products, what would you do? I would track my children with it. Uh-huh, good, excellent, all right. All right, so I've got some, some, some stuff for you, Julie. Don't, don't open this yet. And I've got some stuff for you, Grant. All right, now, now Julie, go ahead and open your, your, your gift there. Isn't the anticipation just thick? Your bow is better, she says. Look at that. The coveting's already happening. Uh -huh. Come on, let's show everybody what you got. Ooh, $50 gift card to the Apple Store. Uh-huh, yeah. Isn't this church awesome? Yeah, tell your friends. Uh-huh. Okay, you're even more excited, like, to see what you got, right? Go ahead, Grant. Look at these nice, neat present openers. That was the kind of, you know, I just ripped the stuff off. Go ahead. Yeah, you open up. What do you, what do you got there? Apple. The original <laughs> Apple product. Yeah. All right. All right. Now you guys stay here. I would let, now let's think about this. Okay. All right. Chances are there could be some things going on cognitively, emotionally for one or both of these folks, right? Like Ju Julie might be thinking, okay, you know, he talked about AirPods and you know iPhones, and all I got was a gift card, but. It's $50 to bribe my kids with, right? You know, and at least I didn't get fruit, you know, okay? You know, okay? All right, so that could be going on inside her or, or Grant here. Grant could be disappointed or frustrated or... I like apples. You like apples, so there you go. Or he'd be sitting there going, you know, maybe things aren't fair. I don't know what could be going through Grant's mind here, but oh, things could be happening, right? Now, if we were to take me out of the equation and just, just these two here, Things could get weird. 
between these two, right? Grant, Grant could even find himself thinking, well, I want what Julie has that I don't have. Or if, you know, Julie needs more fiber in her diet. I don't know. She might be going, hey, you know, I want what Grant has. You know, I want to keep the doctor away. And I'd just be like, eat the cardboard. It works the same way. But, um, but there could be things going on. Now, if Julie gets back to her seat, right, and is like, well, I wanted more than just the card, who should Julie be upset with? Me, yeah, because I passed out the gifts. And if, if Grant gets back to his seat and he's having a hard time having a good attitude for the rest of the service and is like, you know, I can't believe they you know, brought me up there and just gave me fruit and, and, you know, boy, that wasn't fair. Who should Grant be upset with? Me, exactly. Now, how much sense would it make for Grant to be upset with Julie throughout the course of the service or after service today? None, right? Or let's say, let's say you like Grant better than you like Julie, right? Or you just know Grant more than you know Julie. And if you could have been passing out the gifts, you'd have given him the good one and her the lousy one. How much sense would it make for you to be upset with Julie when you're at lunch today talking about the service and what you didn't like and what you did like? You know, I mean, it'd make no sense at all. Like if you're going to be upset with somebody, you should be upset with me. Because I'm the one who picked the gifts, knew what was in the boxes and passed them out, right? Everybody tracking? Okay, Julie, you can have a seat. Give Julie a hand. Yeah, take that with you. It's, that's yours, right? You get to keep that. And Grant, that's your apple, baby. Nobody's going to take it from you. You can have a seat as well. Give Grant a hand. All right. I got to put this back, or Nicole's going to come up here, and she's not going to be able to make any noise. All right. Now, now let's, let, let, let's think through this here, all right? Because... When I was writing this, I thought, and some of you are thinking this right now, I thought, I can't send somebody back with like a gift card and then somebody back with a piece of fruit. Like I, I got to pull another gift card out of my pocket and make this fair. But you know what? I'm not gonna. <laughs> and if you don't like that, I'm the person you should, you know, like send the nasty note to because it was my choice. Now, here's, here's why we did it this way. And this, this is, here's the point, all right? When we covet, do you know who it is that we really have a problem with? It's God. When we covet, our problem was with God. Deep down in our hearts, we're saying, God owes me. He owes me a bigger house, a nicer car, a fatter bank account, a, a better salary, a better body, a, a, you know, a, a spouse, a newer spouse, whatever it is, right? God owes me. Some people are wanting that, right? It's being real here at Faith. But that's the, the, when I covet, see, it's so easy to look at the person who has what I don't have but I want and to let things get junked up between me and that person. But that makes about as much sense as being upset with Julie because she got what Grant wanted or you want what you wanted Grant to get. You'd be upset with her. She ain't passing out the gifts. You'd be upset with me because I'm passing out the gifts. See, when we covet, 
The person we really have a problem with is God. We're saying, you ripped me off. Because when you were passing out gifts, you gave somebody else the gift card, and you gave me that stinking piece of fruit. You owe me. You ripped me off, and it's not fair. Now, let me, let me just tell you something that for some of us will be distressing, but it's true nonetheless. God never claims to be fair. Read your Bible. Claims to be just, righteous, holy, gracious, merciful, a whole pile of other things. He never claims to be fair. Fair says everybody gets the same amount of stuff. God never said life worked that way. And just open your eyes. Look around the world. Or, I mean, life doesn't work that way. And if we're really honest, we don't want fair anyway. Because if all of a sudden the world got fair, if we took all the stuff in the world and we divided it evenly amongst all the people who live on the planet, every one of us in, here, in this room today, we, we would have less. See, when I say that's not fair, I'm not saying I want it to be fair. I'm really saying I just want more. Now again, here's the deal. Deep down inside, when I have that thing inside of my heart that says God owes me. Deep down inside, when I have that thing inside of my heart that says when God was passing stuff out, I got ripped off. When I have that thing in my heart that says, I'm not okay because God gave to them what he should have given to me. None of that is good for my relationship with God. All of that is spiritually destructive. When, when, when I get obsessed with my idea of fair, which really isn't fair, but we'll call it that anyway. When I get obsessed with this idea of fair, what that does is it keeps me from trusting in God as a person. It keeps me from trusting in God's wisdom to give what he's going to give me and not give me what he's not going to give me. It keeps me, in it keeps me from trusting in God's love that's there regardless of what I have or don't have. And anything that keeps me from trusting in God's person or God's wisdom or God's love, again, that's not good for my relationship with God. That's spiritually destructive. But that's what coveting does to us. So the question then becomes, okay, what can we do to avoid this? Because when God gives us a commandment, he's going, hey, I am trying to set you free from this stuff. So with the time we have left, really quickly, because we haven't got a lot of time left, really quickly, we're going to look at some coveting killers, all right? In the book of 1 uh, Timothy, Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy, and in part of the conversation, Paul writes about coveting versus contentment. And as he does so, he gives Timothy some covet killers. Hold on tight, don't blink, we're going to go fast, right? So Paul writes, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So, covet killer number one, if I have a perfectly good one, I'll be content with that one. If I have a perfectly good one, I'll be content with that one. Paul's point is like, 
He's like, Timothy, you were born with no stuff. You get to take no stuff with you when you die. Therefore, life isn't about stuff. So just because there's a new model out doesn't mean you should get one. Just because you can afford one doesn't mean you should get one. If, if you got a perfectly good one, be content with that. See, every, every time I say no, every time I refuse to feed the monster that lives inside of me and that says, the new model is out, you have to have it, right? Every time I refuse to feed that thing, that thing inside of me that would, would grow into coveting, it dies a little bit more. If I got a perfectly good one, I'll be content with that. Paul goes on. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And we're going to focus in on the flee part here. Number two, covet killer number two, stay away from discontentment cultivators. We have an entire industry that is devoted to making you look at your perfectly good stuff and thinking it's no good. It's called marketing. We spend obscene amounts of money trying to convince people who have perfectly good stuff that it's junk and they got to get the next model. You want to kill coveting? Like, to the extent that you can, avoid it. On TV, on radio, on your phone, as you're streaming, your, your, your social, whatever it is, stay away from it. Because it it's there to make you discontent with what you have. And then finally, Paul says this. He says, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. Number three, live generously. Every time I take some of my money and I just give it away. That thing inside of me that would become coveting, it dies a little bit more. Every time I take money that I could use to get me more stuff for me, and I just give it away, coveting inside of me dies just a little bit more. Paul's like, you, you, you want to get rid of coveting? Got a good one? That's good enough. Stay away from the commercials and live generously. Because coveting, it'll destroy you. It'll destroy you personally. It'll destroy you relationally. It'll destroy you spiritually. And God's trying to save you from that. He's trying to set you free to something better. Because again, this is what the commandments are all about. It's not some some list of rules that some crotchety old person came up with to ruin your fun in life. They are foundational principles for God's people. Principles meant to set us free to live our best lives. Principles meant to protect us from what would destroy us. And our hope, our hope is that throughout the course of this series as we've unpacked these commandments, that's exactly what we've seen in them. Let's pray. Father, just in the world, the culture that we live in today, it is so, so easy to get caught up in this. To just have this unhealthy dynamic 
between us and those around us and money and possessions to have this unhealthy dynamic that goes on within us and our relationship with you around money and possessions. Father, to the degree that that is there in us, help us to see it. God, help us just to take steps that will set us free to something better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.